Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health Law Talk, presented by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. Before we get started, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, linked in the description below. We hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, good morning, everyone. So today you have Conrad Meyer and Rory Berlina, and we're going to be talking uh, about a very interesting topic regarding uh, advanced practice registered nurses, APRNs, or in, in, in some of the industry terms, mid-level providers. And specifically, a, a bill that was introduced in the Louisiana legislature in the 2021 session that was going to change how APRNs were going to be able to practice in the state of Louisiana. I mean, pretty pretty interesting stuff. Um, one of the uh, the critical issues with respect to APRNs is that they have to currently, as it stands right now in the law, the uh, APRNs have to work with a physician under a collaborative practice agreement, which means this physician oversees them. So there's a new law, a new bill that was introduced uh, to change that, Roy, what do you what did you what do you know about that? Yeah, so as currently, like you mentioned, the collaborative practice agreement for APRNs has been around as far back as I know, and and it's it's been put in place to kind of act as a protection and an oversight for APRNs because a lot of APRNs tend to practice or have or have uh, clinics in either rural areas or areas where there's not as much access to MD or DO physicians, and so. The collaborative practice agreement has seemed to work well, but there's been some barriers for it, and there's barriers for APRNs, and there's barriers for the, the physicians that ultimately have to agree to be the collaborating physician with the APRN. So this bill was going to change things, and it some, th- some people, most likely the APRNs, thought it was going to be for the better and it would allow them to practice more freely. And then some people thought that it wouldn't, that, that APRNs still need to be under the supervision of a physician. So it like like you said, it was brought up and it made it through the House. It made it through the Senate. It went to the Senate for a final vote and they ran out of time. It never got called for a final final vote and it, it ended there and the legislative session ended this week. So that's where things stand now. Um, but but I think we should talk a little bit about what is the collaborative practice agreement, why we think it's good, why we think it's bad, and and let's talk about this bill because we both don't think that this is going to go away, that it's going to get brought up right. if we have a no, special session or the next regular session. Correct. I, mean, I, I don't think it's going away. I mean, you and I might – I think, interestingly enough, you and I are on kind of opposite sides of the fence on, on this on this particular issue. Right. Um, and, and and really it goes back to a very interesting what is it, why, why was it necessary. So when originally when the, the, the dawn, right, of, of the birth of APRNs uh, in addition to physician assistants, this sort of the mid-level providers, if you will um, – it was it was thought that well we're going to go ahead and introduce this and in order to practice and give an expanded scope of practice that those APRNs or physician assistants would have to work directly with a physician to be able to to practice you know medicine right in terms of the, expanding their scope so currently as it stands right now nurses as they stand, you usually have to follow the orders of a, of a physician. Correct. I mean, facilities have policies with respect to things that nurses can and can't do, but normally the nurses do what the doctors tell them to do. 
And so the APRNs were sort of expanding that scope to address some of the shortfalls with primary care and access to care. And so that was the purpose. Correct. And they, and they had, I think, that right to do so because APRNs are an advanced level of a nurse. They go to additional schooling, additional training, testing. It, it's a higher level of a nurse. And it, it's, it's, it's close. You know, their abilities are very close to that of a physician with some, with some limitations. So, you know, rightfully so, I think that it, the, the collaborative practice, it had good intent, but I think it restricted APRNs in some ways. And this was a push to kind of break the chains of those restrictions. And, and I think we should discuss, you know, the pros and cons of a collaborative practice agreement and, you know, where we think this went wrong and and how it can come back up. So, well, let's, in in my view, let's talk about the pros. So the pros you you have, in my mind, you have an individual, you have a, uh, um, uh, an advanced practice, um, a uh, registered nurse, right, who who is stepping out, right, on their own in a different world, doing more scope or increasing the scope of practice. And likely in a rural area or an underserved area. Well, I don't know if I would agree with that. I think you see APRNs in various settings. So I wouldn't, I mean, I would agree that, that in a rural area or in a, a medically underserved area, Musa, for example, I would, I would expect to see that. Um, but but they're stepping out for the first time, and they don't have the same training, knowledge, training, and experience that a physician would have. For example, I agree with that. You know, so for example, a physician's going to go to the four years of, of medical school, and then another four to six years of additional residency and training um, before they're they're in their respective field. Whereas APRNs have to work a certain number of years in critical care. Go to and then from there go to a school that I think you know obviously is a lot less time and then suddenly thrust right. they're thrust into practice and you're dealing with patients on a whole new level. Right, it is you're you're the one making the decision, so no longer is the physician you know a, 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 analyzing doing the differential diagnosis coming up with a treatment plan that mid-level that APRN is now making those calls. Mm-hmm. So, in in my opinion, I think that. The, the, the lack of that training, the lack of that knowledge, the lack of that experience could be a hindrance and possibly affect medical decision-making for patients simply because they just don't know. Right. And so to have that physician oversight in my mind was critical uh, to be able to, you know, for me, for me as a patient safety issue, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, look, I love APRNs. I'm not, you know, I'm not bagging on them. Right, of course. I mean, but I'm looking at it from a patient safety issue, and right. and, and so that's why I thought they were important. And I think it's important for our listeners to, for us to just briefly discuss what is the collaborative practice agreement and what typically is, what's required in it and what is typically done. So, what, and, and the basics of it right. are that you have a physician and the physicians are restricted to how many APRNs they can act as the collaborating physician for. Right. But essentially they are the uh, monitor per se of that APRN and they're required to check in. Well, I wouldn't just say a monitor. I think they're also someone as a sounding board too and oversight. I mean, you see monitor, it sounds like they're just watching the, watching the show, right? But are they, are they, do they have oversight? I mean, aren't, I mean, they're, they do. They're, they're involved in the decision making as well. They do. They do. And they are, the, like you said, they, the, from the monitoring standpoint, it's, checking they have to check a certain amount of patient records mm-hmm. they have to check in with the APR and you know at certain thresholds and um and and to go to your point it, it is a sounding board because if a patient comes in the APRN 
doesn't know how to handle that patient or just needs some advice, they have that collaborating physician to go to that can help them get that information. So it, I, I do agree with you. I think it's it's excellent for that. It's an excellent model. And, and it, I think depending on the setting, the physical setting of the APRN, you can make an argument on why this bill should have passed. And you could also make an argument on why the system's not broken right now. Let's keep it going as it is. So to your counterpoint, why why would you say, you know, that's my pro. You know, what's the con of having a collaborative agreement? Where where do you see the the the, the where the rubber meets the road? What's the problem? I think the, the the problem from what I've heard from my APR and clients is getting that collaborating physician and getting them to stay on, you know, they're having to check in with the physician to say did you check my notes? Did you check these records? We need to schedule our meeting. It becomes more of a administrative um, burden for them. I can and, see that. And sometimes an APRN wants to, you know, they go through their training that you discuss and they want to go back to their their hometown or to a rural setting, and they they really struggle to get a collaborating physician to sign up to do this because it's. I don't want to say it's a burden for the physician, but it's it's extra work for a physician to be a collaborating physician for the APRNs, and and physicians are busier than anyone. So a, a lot of times it's it's more of an administrative issue. From what I've heard from my APRN clients, getting that that collaborating physician and and staying on top of him or her to get them to review the charts, to get them to the review the records, and they're having to send in you know, attestations that this was done to the, to the various boards in the state. And if that doesn't happen, it's on the APRN. So that's the burden that I hear. Um, it, is it detrimental to their practice? No, but it, it, it makes it more difficult for them. Now, if they're not in a rural setting, if they're in a, a big city um, or, or big parish, I don't think it's as big of a burden because they likely have a physician that will be that. And they're probably close in proximity, but, but otherwise uh, that's the position or the biggest con that I hear. Right. And I think why the APRNs were the big reason why I hear they were pushing to be free is that they went through additional training. Free? What, are we locking them up? I mean, I, I, I don't know if I would say free, you know, to, 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 to break the chains that bind them. I mean, the collaborative is not – I don't think it's just dead weight. I can see the administrative burden, what you're saying, but I don't know if it's as dead weight as that. I mean, I don't know. In other words, the physician has liability too. I mean, remember right. that. So, they do. so that so that collaborative physician, when they're not when they're not reviewing or they're taking their time to review charts, they could be running into some bylaw issues on Correct. chart timeliness. They could be running into some exposure payer issues in terms of timely submission of claims, other liability issues. So they're on the hook too. Correct. So, so but I can I can understand the doc who is sort of oh, I got to look at this again. Right. Oh, this you know I can totally I can see that problem. Right. Right. And and that that's that's what I hear. So. I think let's discuss, you know, where this bill was and what it intended to do and, you know, possibly why we think it, it, it maybe didn't make it out of a full Senate vote and and that we, you know, it comes back up and how it could be changed or or if they bring it up as is, do we think it'll make it? So we're talking about House Bill 495, is that right? Yes, House Bill 495 introduced in the 2021 regular session. And it was it was co-authored by numerous representatives out of the House. Well, what and so wait, so so let's for the listeners. What is the normal, you know, uh, the process? Right, it went to some committee first. Is that right? And Correct. Then they, and then they go through committee and they do some revisions on the bill, right? Correct. 
and then after that, if it le- if it passes the committee, what happens next? Then it goes as you said. It's it's authored by this one's authored by about ten or twelve different House members. So it starts there. It typically gets sent to a committee. Committee reviews it, makes revisions. It leaves committee. It goes to the full House for a vote. Once it passes the full House, then it goes to the Senate. The Senate typically sends it to committee. The committees make revisions. Then it goes to the full Senate for a vote. This bill made it to the full Senate for a vote, but they never took a final vote on this. And that 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 is common. That's not an uncommon thing. On oh, why did they not take a vote on it? Did they? Was there something wrong with it? Typically, what we hear or what we hear from people in Baton Rouge is that if a final vote is not made on a House bill or a Senate bill, it's typically because they know that it's not going to pass. And so, you know, for lack of a better word, instead of them being embarrassed or, you know, disappointing the people that they told it would pass or that were encouraging them to to push it to get passed, they say, we're not even going to put this to a vote because we don't want that stigma of it failing and then us having to bring it up again, they would rather just let it silently go and bring it up again in the next session. So, so to my point earlier about the knowledge, training, and experience, when I, when you look at the bill and you look at the changes, it, it it has some pretty stark changes to it in terms of of the requirements now. So, when you look at it and you kind of get into the weeds, now APRNs will have to have six thousand hours of 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 under their belt, right? Right. In a particular specialty. So, in other words, if they're going to go to, you know, ortho, cardio, neuro, primary care, they're going to have to have 6,000 hours uh, in their specialty right. to be able to get that APRN uh, without the collaborative agreement. That was in the bill. And then, but prior to that, prior to that, the, 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 as an RN, they needed to have 4,000 hours, clinical hours. Right. Right. I mean, that is a tremendous amount it of time. It's a lot of it's a lot of work. And from what I hear from APRNs, mm-hmm. they feel that the amount of time, work, energy that they've put in that they that they should not have again, I'll bring up the the administrative burdens that they have with these collaborative practice agreements, that they should be allowed to practice with inside their scope. I don't think they're asking to do anything that they're not allowed to do by their license. I think it's more of a personal I, I don't. I don't know if it's a really an issue, but it's more of a, of a personal, you know, struggle that APRNs have. That we went, we got the hours, we went to the schooling, the training, the testing, we're licensed and certified, and but then we still have to have someone who who isn't even an APRN, they're a physician. I mean, no, that's obviously a step above as far as training goes, but but not even someone in our specialty kind of checking our work. And I think for them, it becomes. That's more of a of a personal thing because you don't see that in a lot of other non healthcare related industries, and I think it's a, it, from the ones that I've spoken with, that's their struggle. Is that in no other industry do you really see someone that's you know not directly as you kind of checking your work and assisting? I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Let me let me flip the tables on you here for a second. What about paralegals and law? What if suddenly the Louisiana Paralegal Association said, "Well, we're going to give paralegals a license." They got to take you know two thousand hours of of, of 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 training, and suddenly we're going to allow paralegals to go file pleadings. We're going to let them put their name and signatures on pleadings in court, and allow them to do that. How how would we respond? I mean, would we have the same arguments? Like for example, the arguments I'm making, saying, "Well, you know, hey, 
They really don't have the knowledge, training, and experience as a lawyer. They never went to three years of law school. They never did X, Y, and Z. You know, so I don't, I don't know if I would buy that that hook, line, and sinker. Um, but but you know, because so, I can see that happening. I can see suddenly we're opening Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. But to your point, um, I don't know if I would agree back to the hours. You know, is is six thousand hours enough? Right, right. Is that enough? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if I'm a physician, for example, I've gone through four years of school. Two of those four years, right, are on rotation. Then I'm getting matched into a residency program. That's only after I pass my 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 board. I have my two year boards, then I have my my four year, and then now I'm in a residency program after I've matched, and I have another four to six years of additional training. Sometimes I go to a fellowship even after that. So, so does that, you know, does that 6,000 hours of hours, you know, that, that was in the bill, right? Mm-hmm. Is that going to, I mean, is that enough? Is, I mean, who's to say? I don't, I don't think anyone knows. I think right. the six, <laughs> that's the point that it could be an arbitrary number that we don't know. Is that enough? We don't know. And the thing is, is will the patients care? Correct. And so that, that's a real point. I mean, right. so Conrad is your kind of position on this, that, the system really isn't broken right now. Why change it? No, I don't think that's the. I, I think I think I think that's a, that's a tough question, really, mm-hmm. honestly, because I do believe I understand the desire to break away from the contract, but maybe there's a way to meet in the middle. Okay, maybe there's a way that you can allow APRNs to have the freedom and scope of practice their desire while giving patients greater access to care but still having sort of that oversight of a, of a physician and, 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 and I don't know the solution. I mean, I, I mean, I can't, I'm not, a, I'm not a legislator, but I'm just thinking out loud here. Right. Maybe there's a way to thread the needle, right. To cover both right. ends and really find out what the position of the APRNs are. You know, is it that there, is there not enough? Do well, they, wait, well, interestingly, I want to tell you this. Did you know that federally qualified healthcare centers under the federal law, APRNs already don't need a collaborative agreement. I did not know that. They don't need it. So That's if you want to go work for an FQHC as a APRN, mm-hmm. you, you don't need it. That's interesting. That's federal rules. So the feds already have right. <laughs> taken the step, right? To, right. to 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 cut the ties. Right. Now it's it's and this is a battle, and we all know this. I mean it's a battle between the docs, right? Exactly, and the nursing board. So we're watching the we're really watching the battle of the boards. Correct, right? Because the bill also put together. You notice, interestingly, it, it, it advocated for this independent practice advisory panel with Louisiana Department of Health. I saw that, and, and this was going to put together a, a five voting member panel. Right, and when you look at the 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 panel makeup, the panel makeup. Now there is. Um, you know, one physician from the State Medical Society, one from the Louisiana Medical Association, one from the American Academy, uh, the Louisiana Academy of Family Physicians, uh, two from the Louisiana Nurse Practitioners Association, um, one from the uh, Louisiana Council and Administrative and Nursing Education, and one from the State Board of Nursing as a non-voting. But interesting, the one board member from the Board of Medical Examiners is a non-voting member. Interesting. So they wanted to pull that out. You see, um, because they don't want the board to, 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 I think, I think to weigh in on this issue. And I, and I think it's up for a, it'd be a good conversation to find out where are the barriers. You know, is it that, you know, there's a restriction on the number of 
APRNs a physician can collaborate and oversee? Is Does that need to be expanded or does there need to be more of an incentive for physicians to work with the APRNs? You know, do they do they need to come up with a mandatory program where every phys, every physician out of x amount of years of experience is required to be a collaborating physician for uh, then then you, you, I think you're going to run real afoul from the physician side if you're mandating me to do that. I mean that that's I don't that's I think that's a slippery slope. I think I think the the question or the struggle will be is like you said. Where can they meet in the middle? Find out what the real issues are, and what their real what the real barriers are, and and how can this be worked out? So, I mean, the the number one goal is patient care and patient safety, and and no. Well, one I think also access to, to care too. Don't when you say, I mean, yeah, access, absolutely. So, patient safety, access to care, all the things you mentioned, absolutely. And 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 by getting that, I think everyone, both boards, need to continue working together to find out what is the best way to get that to everyone. So let's just say this goes forward next year or the year after. Sure, right. Let's just say another bill comes up, and this time it's got it's going to get out of committee. It's going to get on the floor. It's going to get called. Mm-hmm. Okay, but here's the here's the interesting thing, and I want to kind of leave you with this. What about physician assistance? If APRNs suddenly have the freedom to have no collaborative agreement, what do you think the PAs are going to say? You think they're going to look at this and copy this bill and, and oh, propose it for themselves? I think they're going to give it a try, wouldn't you? I mean, if I'm a PA and I'm doing a similar scope of practice and True. suddenly my APRN next to me says, hey, I don't need an agreement anymore, see you sayonara, right? Yeah, they're going to come back and say, I'm going to do it. We want to do it too. And then are we opening it up? Are we opening it up to where we're going to have, like you said, the mid levels just what do you, what do you think? You think it's going to get, you think the Pandora's, if I'm a PA, you know, and I see APRNs get special treatment because they put forth legislation, what do you think I'm going to do next year? It could be. It could very well happen that the association could get together and say, we want this as well. Correct. Correct. And, so, and, uh, and then we have, that, then we have, you know, possible other issues and of trying to keep in access to health and patient care come up. Well, not even in addition to the House bill. Remember, remember too now the financial side of APRNs, okay, on incident two billing, which we're not going to get into here. That's a whole different topic, right? right? But, you know, you, you have that 15% uh, where they're reimbursed by Medicare at, 50, at 85% on their own, if they build it on their own. But if they bill it with a physician, then they can bill it under the physician's NPI as an incident to Correct. If, if they meet requirements. Correct. But they get the 100% then. Correct. So there's a 15% gap. So I guess the question is, is, is that going to stay? Right. Right? Or is Medicare going to say, hey, we're seeing, we're seeing the, the tsunami coming. Right. Right? We're just going to go ahead and give them the 100% outright because we have, you know, numerous states who are now letting APRNs practice on their own. Correct. Yeah, and, and and we don't know, and and it, we need to see how this is happening in other states. You know, with with COVID and the expansion of telehealth and telemedicine, you know, is it going to be more of a progressive approach where the goal is to get the most providers and the most access to patients and finding ways to do that? Well, I guess only time will tell. We'll see. I think so. We will see next year in the next legislative session to see if somebody decides to put this forward. I think so. I think, you know what? I don't know. I think we've covered all of our rounds on the House Bill 495. I'm going to look forward. So. I'm going to keep dra- – who, who put this – who was the, the, the legislator that drafted this? Was this – It was representatives Ivy, Carter, Cox, Green, James, a numer- numerous amount of them. But it, it's something that we should definitely follow, and maybe we could reach out to them and find out where they think this bill 
didn't make it out of full Senate and, and if they plan to bring it again in the next session. I think that would be something great for a follow-up. I think so, too. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, that's All great right. on this one. Great topic. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll look forward to our next episode coming up soon, and uh, I hope everybody continues to listen at the uh, Health Law Talks at Shahardi Sherman-Williams. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. For more information or to contact us, please visit our website linked in the description below. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube.